the Michigan Hockey Cast 5.18, where we'll try not to struggle with the same things over and over and over and over again. I know most of you are tuning in to this show for headline-breaking news. We will start. Alex, you have some news for this weekend. Would you care to share with the viewers and your fans? I will be doing a play-by-play for WCBN Sports, my old home uh, student radio. It is a spring break uh, for the students, so there is... No one available to do the Wisconsin. <laughs> Everyone is gone? The Wisconsin game. Yeah, all their hockey broadcasters are out of town. Maybe so. you should have gone on spring break. I was. I, I didn't even know it was spring break. <laughs> you <truth>. didn't? <laughs> well, I, I did because they said it during the Wisconsin uh, basketball game on Sunday. They oh. Like, oh, it's spring break, but students are still here at this game. And I was like, oh, it's spring break. So uh, I did know that, but. So now that you've graduated into a professional gig and you've enlarged your following and you have a fan club, is there a fan club online for you? I don't think so. Okay. Well, maybe we should start one of those. But now if you want to hear Alex call a hockey game, uh, it's on, it'll be on, on YouTube. WCBN or it's on YouTube. WCBN Sports YouTube's channel. Uh, I'll probably tweet it too because, you know, not a thing I do too often anymore, but uh, it should be fun. Uh, I mean, you're good. More so than, uh, more so because you're playing a team that uh, probably should be an enjoyable game. <laughs> well, you hope so. <laughs> you don't want to go to a third game with that one. But um, so, if you want to hear Alex, he he has plenty of other games, I, I suppose, that are still up somewhere on the on the channel that you've done. What? Well, several years ago now. Yeah, it's been a while. But you will uh, add another one to the archives, and if people want to. Hear you call a Michigan hockey game live, that would be a good time to do it. We also should bump some other news in that we're going to attempt a second watch-along, this time for a basketball game. I assume most of you people who are listening are probably Michigan basketball fans as well. We did a hockey watch-along, what, a few weeks ago now? Yeah, it was uh, like Michigan second, State, so week, it was second week of uh, February. February, yeah. And so we're going to try to do a basketball game now that maybe the season is relevant again, or Michigan still has, what, a shot at the two-seed in basketball, I think, in the Big Ten tournament. And they, a bye. They do. I was scheming up a scenario. Oh, yeah? Uh, in my On how to get it to that point? Rooting guide today, using the parameter assumption that Michigan goes 1-1. One and one. There is a way to get there. You well, 2-0, oh, they, I think, are the two-seed, right? Uh, or it depends what happens in Maryland. There's yeah, there's some okay. other contingencies. But I was saying, okay, let's say they just go one and one. What happens then? Who do you cheer for? And I, you, you scheme into a five-way tie <laughs> with a bunch of teams that, based on the in-group tiebreaker, Michigan would win. Because thankfully, a lot of those teams that they are potentially tied with, they did very well against. Well, they split with several of them, and they swept. They swept Northwestern. They swept Rutgers. And Rutgers has yeah. got a favorable schedule. They're it's probably going to go two and zero this week, which a Michigan one and one would put them in a tie with at twelve and eight. So after watching that Rutgers game and counting on them to make shots in another game is seems a bit of a reach. But um, hey, they came back from twenty points down on Sunday to beat Penn State. And, and you know what that makes me feel about Penn State? <laughs> well, it was good for Michigan because Penn State's on the bubble too. That is true. 
So we are going to try to talk our way through that game. Uh, hopefully no one will get hurt and <laughs> things will stay sane and we won't put anything on the internet that doesn't need to be on the internet. But tune in for that if you'd like. I believe you mentioned something on your post today. Hopefully we will also mention it in other posts in the next day or two. Uh, lastly, before we get into talking about the Notre Dame series, uh, do you want to do a quick short rundown of NHL deadline stuff since the deadline is going to be maybe more of a sparkler than a firework as most of the trades or big trades have appear to have happened? I suppose anything can happen, right? And someone's going to come out of the blue and do something and we're all going to go like, what's going on? But I mean, really the only major storyline is that... Uh all the players keep going east. The Eastern Conference has uh, really loaded up, and they've taken a lot of players from the west into the east. Um, so it's it's very interesting. Boston made uh, their move in getting uh, Orlov and Hathaway from the Capitals. The Lightning made a move, rather odd one, to get Tanner Janot from the Predators for a very high price. Maple Leafs have made two separate moves, getting Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari from the Blues and Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty from the uh, Blackhawks. So that right there in the Atlantic Division, you know, a lot of trades. Uh, four total first-rounders moved out for those wow. separate trades. And then you move into the, the Metro, where we're kind of waiting on Carolina. They don't seem like... They don't really like to make trades, do they? Not ones that make you happy or excited, <laughs> generally. Uh, but I feel like the pressure is really on them because New Jersey loaded up. They, they got, got Meyer. They got Timo Meyer. Who but they, they did not extend yet? They have not extended. Okay. But they were bidding against Carolina. And so they got that one done at, I thought, a very a very nice price for New Jersey. I mean, it, it, it's it's expensive, but it, uh, they did well in not but giving Meyer's up. But Meyer's really good. Meyer's really good. They gave up future first, but they did not give up Alexander Holtz. They did not give up Simon Nemitz, and they did not give up Luke Hughes. So they or any other Michigan defenseman? Nope. They protected all of their, you know, their existing prospects basically, their top ones. So I thought that was a great move for them and Meyer's such a good fit with their group and then uh, New York. Uh, they added Tarasenko and and Nico Mikola. They also got our old friend Tyler Mott back on their fourth <laughs> line. And it seems like they're going to have Patrick Kane on the team within probably the next 48 hours. So they've loaded up too. I think really the big takeaway for me is is you know, if Carolina does not come out of that Metro division, there should be extensive heat on their front office. Well, there, if you don't, there sort of is already, isn't there? No, I mean, I mean you need to win at some point. They have a great point. record, and look, if they make it through the Metro, they'll be totally justified because they didn't give up any assets and they still made it through. But yeah. if they don't and yeah. you lost out on the play, if New Jersey beats you and Timo Meyer goes ham and you were too chicken to pay up for him, that's on you. So, yeah. Uh, that is the interesting one, is the team that you're bidding against is also in your the other go really good team in the division. Yep. So I, I think that's going to be very interesting to follow. And, you know, on the flip side, it's not really clear who in the West is going to make any moves. And at this point, all the top candidates really are, are off the board. So uh, there's some defensemen out there that'll be interesting to follow. I think Edmonton is going to be... Are they going to get Carlson? Doesn't look like it, but... Is anyone going to take on that contract? It doesn't look like it, at least not now. Yeah. I, I think that's a trade you could see happen at the draft. But Jacob Trickren, we're still waiting on. He's been locked in the basement 
not playing for several weeks while we're waiting for him to be traded. Didn't he get hurt last year? Like there were rumors oh, last year about him. He hurt all the time. Like that's the big So so why are why are people lining up for him? Or maybe they're not. He's a really good player, but you just have When to, he's healthy. You just have to know he's going to miss 20 games a season. Mm. As long as he's healthy in the playoffs, you're fine. That's the logic. But now you sound like an NBA team. <laughs> pretty much. And then uh, Gavrikov's still available. Not sure what's going to happen there. Columbus seems like they really overplayed their hand. Uh, but it also doesn't help that he apparently very picky about where he wants to sign an extension. The Kings wanted Gavrikov, but they wanted him extended. Sounds like he does not want to play in L.A., so that's not happening. That's a first. The way I read it is that Gavrikov is going to go to the Panthers in the offseason. Like, oh, is he a UFA? Yeah. Okay. He's, a very, he's very picky about his destination. Where do we know the Russians love to go? The state of Florida. Tampa does Miami. not Miami. Tampa does not have the room to make that move, but the Panthers will. They'll have some cap space. To me, that's what I, I read into this, is that that's where he wants to go. And that's the thing. If you're a team and you're looking to make a trade, and he's a pure rental who is not interested in your team, it's, it's a... You know, you're, little, you're not going to pay all that for that, right? I mean, no. that's just... And and the chicken problem is the asking price is still sky high. Well, because so, he's under term for, what, several years? Several years. So yeah. uh, that's why you're kind of at this impasse where it's... And then there's Matthias Ekholm from the Predators, who is an awesome, awesome player. Problem is, he's 32 years old, and he's got three more years after this one at 6.3 million. And the Predators apparently think he's worth two first-round picks. Do you disagree? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Matthias Ekholm three years ago might have been worth two first-round picks, but at that age, you have to be weary. And at that contract, these contenders, they're cap strapped. They don't have room for six point three million. Like if you're the Predators, I say I'll I'll get two first if I eat half the deal. But you know, two of them straight up, not happening. That's you have to realize that that contract's a negative asset, not a positive one. Yep. Well, it's kind of interesting to me because I, you know, you talk about all the teams that are making trades are in the East and the teams that aren't are in the West, and that kind of makes it in a way better because now you have all of the teams that are loading up and are have the eyeballs in one and then the other ones are sort of kind of who they are and staying the same so you don't have the scales being tipped you just have sort of two different playing fields well yeah and and i mean the playoff series between the two conferences i mean in particular those first round series likely new jersey new york uh, the rangers i mean that'll be an incredible series right and just awesome to watch and obviously tampa bay and, and toronto will be a great series as it was last season. So th- that that's eye candy. And then you're going to have some series, I think, in the West that just aren't going to have the same punch. But Well, that you can tell anyway. I mean, yeah, like, they no, may well be entertaining series. Nobody thought, what was it, Dallas and Calgary was going to be one sure. of the better series? Sure. Or I, even, I, was it the Edmonton and LA? Uh, LA? I mean, it's, it's totally conceivable that series in the West could go seven games and yeah. be highly entertaining. It's just the caliber of players and the level of play is going to be lower because I think at this point in time, if guns to your head, this uh, let's say the top seven teams to win the Stanley Cup, I think six of them would be in the East, one in the West, and then maybe Dallas and Vegas after that. But it's it's a very lopsided uh, NHL as it was ten years ago. It just was reversed back then. Yeah, there was that window of time where the East was a joke. Besides, you know, maybe Pittsburgh, maybe Boston in a given year, but like it was. The East was really rough there for a while, and the West, when you had, you know, Anaheim, when they had Getzlaff, and they were really good, and you had L.A., who was really good, you had Chicago, who was a dynasty, you had Vancouver, who won two President's Trophies in that window, San Jose was consistently great year after year. I mean, there were so many good teams out there. It was a bloodbath, and now it's the same thing. It's just the the conferences are flipped. Hmm. 
All right. So if you're an NHL guy or you've been commenting, wanting us to talk some NHL, you're welcome. Let's get into some Michigan hockey talk from the weekend. Michigan hosted Notre Dame. Um, always not a good time for Michigan since basically you've been in school. <laughs> hey, I mean, the first year that I was following Michigan hockey as a student, uh, we swept him at home. And that was really the series that got Michigan into the tournament. And Notre Dame, I think, was number one in the poll. Uh, it was at the end of February, and, and it was two huge wins for Michigan. Yeah. And then since then, hasn't been as good at Yost. Almost nothing. And we kind of talked about this series, sort of previewing it, saying that, you know, Notre Dame isn't the same Notre Dame team. It's They don't do kind of the same things they don't they can't score Michigan it should be able to overwhelm them their goalie's been good but he wasn't Kale Morris you know that the defensemen are fine but they weren't impenetrable and we were right on a little bit of that but um at least for this particular series it felt like it was other than a couple of sections a bit of a throwback and the funny part was that in the Friday game, like it just got off to an absolutely bonkers start where you're looking at, you know, we finally might get fire wagon hockey from Michigan Notre Dame. Cause in the first nine minutes, four goals are scored, you know, Michigan gets a power play early and then Notre Dame might have the single worst eight seconds of penalty kill that I've ever seen as TJ Hughes collects the puck in his own zone and literally skates right down the center of the ice between the two forwards, between the two defensemen goes, I believe, was it, I think it was backhand forehand. And then he lifts it over a prone Ryan Bischel and gives Michigan a power play goal. And I just remember watching that and being like, is anyone else watching this? Or was it just, (laughs) no one's going to do anything. Yeah, that was uh, T.J. Hughes's Connor McDavid moment, and yeah. we were all witness. Yeah, that was <laughs> well. I mean, Luke Hughes did that last year, but he actually like blew through some guys and made somebody miss. Here, it just seemed like Notre Dame was just pointing fingers at the other guy across from him as T.J. Hughes just slipped in between everybody. And that was big because we always talk about getting that first goal, yeah, against Notre Dame. So mission accomplished. Problem was, it didn't last very long. No, and. It, Rucker McGordy is called for a high sticking penalty and Notre Dame gets their first power play. They hit the crossbar. Uh, Portillo makes a couple good saves and um, Michigan is off to a pretty good kill. It looks like they're going to kill it. And then a shot from the point hits Lansdell and then they said Adams, but then took it away. It might've hit Edwards. I think eventually the goal went to Lansdell because it, so it's a double doinker from straight away and it gets, by Portillo, but I mean, a double deflection is, I mean, you save those if you're lucky, right? That goal was very stupid. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a weak wrister from the from the top of the point, you know, at the blue line, through about six bodies, hits a couple of them, and, and goes in. I mean, it's just like, whatever. <laughs> and that would stay whatever, because... Notre Dame would score again pretty soon after that. They get the puck below the blue line, um, and you're going to talk about T.J. Hughes in a second here, but the puck gets thrown to the front of the net, and it, it's, I don't even think it's on frame, but it hits Keaton Pearson, I believe, in the shoulder and redirects up and over to the far side of Portillo inside the far corner, 
uh, for a 2-1 to lead for Notre Dame. And that, again, also feels a little bit in the same vein of the first goal of just, well, okay, I guess if it's going to be that kind of weekend. Yeah, this one is interesting because they're digging along the wall, and it's, it's Edwards and, and the Notre Dame player, and, and T.J. Hughes gets his stick in there and kind of gets it free, and, and he's sort of just scooping it towards his goaltender ever so slightly, and, and uh, the Notre Dame player, you know, the other one shows up there and uh, gets a hold of it and, and then sort of pokes it off Keaton Pearson. I, I need to see a full replay of this one. I'm watching just the, you know, at the time replay. I remember on Friday night, I wasn't super happy with the, the way Portillo played this one, but I'd have to look on the replay to really get a sense of my assessment of that. It was, it was definitely a, a strange, a strange one. You texted me, what was TJ Hughes doing? Right. Well, he's, he, uh, Michigan just kind of had this problem a little bit where they, they dig the puck out and, and sometimes like play it right in front of their own net. <laughs> and on the first, <laughs> that look, seems that, ill-advised <laughs> and, and just kind of the, the trajectory of where he was, uh, digging it out from kind of went towards his net, but there's also forechecking pressure. It, it's a, it's a very strange, uh, bit of a strange play there. Yeah. So it's two to one and Michigan gets a two on one pretty soon after that. Uh, a really nice play from Jackson Hallam as he gets up the right side, gets kind of deep, and then nutmegs a guy on a pass back through the defender to an open Gavin Brindley who hits the open net because of sort of the spacing and Bischel can't get across. A really nice play, and it's it's another one of those data points for Jackson Hallam where his speed just creates all this space. And if there's another guy on the team that's going to be able to go with him, it's probably going to be Gavin Brindley. So getting them both out there together, attacking up the ice against a Notre Dame team that, you know, doesn't have a ton of it speed and kind of catch them in transition. And that's not something you can do to Notre Dame a lot. Usually their defensemen are pretty well positioned and Michigan took advantage of it and tied the game. Well, Michigan caught them without their their forecheck really set up. Um, Notre Dame had two forwards in the offensive zone, uh, sort of pursuing Michigan with the puck behind their own net. And then they had the third forward in the neutral zone, pinching hard on Frank Nazer, and he doesn't make the play. And then you got the other defenseman, the first defenseman, stepping up across the blue line to also sort of hard pinch, and Nazer breaks through that one. So you, you've got Notre Dame a bit discombobulated, and, and they don't cut the playoff when they have the chance, and so now it's a two-on-one in the zone. And then uh, perfectly played by Hallam. I mean, it's a great pass from Nazer to Hallam, and then great pass from Hallam to McGordy. I mean, they... Brindley. Uh, Brindley, sorry. And they, they just break it break it wide open. Yeah, and Michigan almost repeats that right after, as, as Hallam again is up free the same way. This time the defenseman makes a really nice play to... to break up the pass it looked like you had I, I, that one might have been McGordy on the other side where you was going to have a really open look down the slot but um Hallam got by his guy but defenseman just made a really really good play to stop it and at that point you're thinking okay this is like wide open it's two to two uh we've played you know 10-15 minutes of hockey and this is the game that if this is what it is Michigan's going to probably walk away in this game because Notre Dame needs to slow this down. They need to take down the chances. They can't let Michigan just control the puck and beat them up and down the ice. And they hadn't been able to do that early on. Now they got their couple of fluky-ish bounce goals, 
which is fine. You know, that's going to happen. But those don't generally continue. And, you know, you said to me, you got to love it when your opponent gets these two kind of crap bounce goals and you're making really nice elite plays and getting yours because they're staying in it off of some puck luck and Michigan's skill is taking over. But that's where it goes sometimes. Right. Uh, fortunately for Notre Dame, unfortunately for Michigan, that is kind of where like the skill and wide openness of the game started to cease. And the second period, um, not a lot was happening. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was trying <laughs> no, to take I, notes I have, on... I have nothing to say about the second period. There was The only thing that I want to talk about here, because we don't have anything else we need to talk about, is, is um, you know, and this is true of kind of the whole game, I made a point in the breakdown about it, is, is Seamus Casey finally looked pretty human. And, I mean, he had, obviously, as anyone's going to have some rough stretches, but this was probably his worst game as a Wolverine, I would say. Uh... Perhaps. I, I know some of the KC issues happened when I was briefly away from the TV. Ah. My parents lost power for <laughs> several days, like Brian. And <laughs> I was in charge of my brother for an evening, so we were acquiring dinner during I see. the first intermission. It bled a few minutes into the second, and the only once I got back and saw the rest of the second, I had no notes. It was very boring, but... Yeah. The thing I missed was when I got back and pulled open my phone, I, your message about Casey was there, and I was like, oh. So it wasn't yeah. one thing. I mean, it was, you know, he made a couple plays where he's retrieving the puck in his own end and gets it, but turns into the defender and turns it over. His passes, uh, not as crisp and not, not finding space, you know, just not tape to tape. Um, he was getting a little bit pushed around at times by Notre Dame's bigger players, more experienced players. It was just all the things about that can be negative about in Casey's game kind of came to fruition in this game. That did not stay true for Saturday. I thought he was a little bit better then, but you know, they did not have Luke Hughes on Friday night. And so you're depending a ton on Edwards and Casey to move the puck and to create from your back end. And when one of those guys doesn't have a great night, you know, it's just going to limit what your offense looks like because Michigan does depend on a lot a lot on their defensemen to get the puck out of their zone to create not only odd man rushes but transition chances and and zone entrances as well and when one of them is not playing super well and your best one is out you know it's just going to be not as smooth I would say sure uh you know there are a couple penalty or penalty power plays exchanged um and then kind of getting into uh, what we were talking about, Casey had the puck in his own end. This was at the far end because I remember so much was a second period. Just gets absolutely rocked by a guy. And I don't think it was a bad hit or illegal or anything like that. He just got – remember how at times Blankenberg would just meet a guy who's bigger and he'd go flying just because that's how his size. Yep. It, it was reminiscent of that. And, and the, the interesting part was Adam Fantilli took exception <laughs> to that. And basically hunted this guy down and tried to hit him two or three times, as Fantilli uh, is known to do. Um, you know, that's a different kind of bullet point is, you know, we, we can talk about it more in the second segment because he does uh, get it kicked out of the game for, for hitting a guy. But, you know, Fantilli definitely plays with fire, right? Oh, I yeah. Mean, he, he's not going to be overly passive. He comes to play the physical game. And he the one cool thing in this situation is he stuck up for his teammate. 
Yeah, no, no issue with that. I mean, I've and this will bleed into the second segment, but some of the issues he's had with five minute majors even are, are bad for Michigan. But as an NHL GM, personally, I love to see that uh, because you, you, I like when stars get involved when they have a little bit of pushback when they have a little bit of fight. I think it inspires the the, the team and and uh, fires them up. You don't really want them like fighting per se, because, you know, injuries can occur in that sense. And, you know, you can get something on your hand or something just from, from a scuffle, but you do want them emotionally involved, like you're saying. And I think that just in sports in general, it's easier to... No, I mean, you don't want them to fight all the time, but let's say, you know, he's a team leader. Let's say in the NHL, for example, if he's the best player on his team and his line mate or somebody gets laid out, I don't want him to just stand there and look emotionless. I right. want him to be involved. And if it means one fight once in a while yeah. to protect his team, you, you want to see that. Right. And I think that it's easier to um, calm someone down or coach them down of when and when to do that than to sort of instill, hey, why don't you give a crap? Yeah. You know, like those pl- people who are generally like that are generally like that. You can learn how to control some of your emotions easier than it is to sort of inject them into you, I would guess. Sure. I mean, from my experience anyway. So it's 2-2 going to the third period. Uh, just like we'd all hoped, <laughs> as we've seen all too many times, these tie games go to the third period with Notre Dame. And, you know, right away, you know, you get Ciccolini's called for an interference. Um, you know, I talked to multiple people, and they're like, you know, yeah, it's interference. The problem is they hadn't really been calling that all game. Notre Dame, it was right off the faceoff, right, where Ciccolini kind of takes a guy down. But Notre Dame had sort of been doing that as well. Michigan is the team that gets buzzed for it. This was a terrible call. You think this was bad? He was just standing there, and the guy skated into him. I mean, I, I was not a fan of that one whatsoever. So that's not even a college hockey to NHL sort of comparison. This is just, you can't call this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just, is it maybe interference? Like, okay, maybe, but like it wasn't even, it was accidental interference. I mean, he got skated into. I, it's also, it was, it was, I want more. Do you think it was, the, it was Notre Dame's third power play, so they were trying to even him up? Like, is that, because you know, all of a sudden you're in the third, you don't want to call it too late. So maybe, now each I mean, so three. sometimes what happens is as a referee, you're looking at several things and you see a guy get taken down and you're just like, oh, he wasn't playing the puck, that's a penalty. And you don't necessarily have as good of a grasp of it. What I'll say about interference is I'm, I've always been more in favor of interference when it's it's attacking players getting tackled and the clutching and grabbing and all that sort of '90s hockey type stuff that opens the game up and makes it more free flowing. The this sort of thing and the pick plays and all that kind of stuff. I've argued that that uh, hockey should have basketball rules on pick plays in the offensive zone. Um, I I think if it's interference that's helping the offensive team, I'm all for it. Hmm. I, want more, I want more goals. If yeah. it's interference helping the defensive team, then sure, let's crack down on it. But or, or at least sort of ticky-tack stuff, and this was, I mean, it just, you got to let that go. I don't even think you need more goals, but you need more chances. Sure. Yeah. So Notre Dame gets their, their third power play, um, <laughs> and this is where Chase Primo is sitting a really nice pass to him. He's sitting kind of far post. Portillo can't get across. Has one of those like shovel two-handed push shots where it's just trying to get the puck in the net. And it's there. And he hits the post. And it just like deadens right back out. And he can't get the rebound at that time. Portillo's over. And you're like, wow, they just dodged a bullet on that. Um, but then 
their their power power kill their penalty kill breaks down um and we can talk a little bit about this cuz we both have different takes on it but um Steve Holtz kind of chases a guy out to the boards and checks him into the boards but doesn't really win the puck the puck gets back to the point and it's passed back down to Jack Adams who gets the puck below the dot on that same side that Steve Holtz went to the boards and he turns like he's going to make a pass there's no one in front of him and there's nobody really near him at all. And so Holtz or I'm sorry, Adams just skates right to the net and gets to the crease and scores. I believe it's far high side. It's over the glove. Yeah. Far side high and beats Portillo. And, you know, I know you're going to talk about Portillo doing better on that. And you're probably right. Maybe that he needs to poke check something like that. But I mean, this is the case where you can't abandon also a quarter of the ice. So I don't have any issue with Steve Holtz on this play. You don't? No. He, the, the, he's not chasing a guy just like randomly. He's trying to win the puck. Yeah. And it's right off a of faceoff. He's, he's on the, his side, right? He's playing against the wall. The guy right next to him on the faceoff is right there. Puck from the faceoff, slingshots right to them. He goes to try and win the puck, doesn't win it. And then starts tracking back towards his man. And you get a, a pass from the point. You have Nazar up top. He's taking away the shot rather than the pass. Okay, sure. I mean, it's it's a situation where Holtz doesn't win the puck battle. That's okay. You get the pass down low. You have the defenseman in front of the net taking away the pass. A guy walking in tight. Okay, not not ideal because you lost the puck battle, and that's what happens when you lose the puck battle. You get exposed in that way. But everyone's doing their job. The pass is taken away. At that point, you've got mano a mano. You've got one forward walking in with the puck and a goalie right there in position to make the save. And he doesn't make the save. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's on the goalie. I mean, every you lose a puck battle. If you want to you know, fault Holtz for losing the puck battle, you can. But my, my if own... the pass is taken away, that's all you can ask for. Pass is taken away. It's a goalie's job to stop the puck, and he's got and he's in tight on a man. My only problem with that is like Holtz is not going to be quick enough to get back. So if you're going to step out on that, you have to win the puck. It and depends, if you don't, it, it, I mean, he's just his, never going to get back. Sure, and it's it's going to expose you. And, and we don't know how they're being coached. We don't That's know how, if if he's being told to, you know, not play as aggressively, all that sort of stuff. But That's true. At the end of the day, I just don't like seeing my goalie get beat by a Notre Dame player in tight. <laughs> All right, if he gets beat by Matthew Nyes in that in that spot, I'm like, yeah, he's got NHL hands around the net and finishing talent. This Even, is Jack Adams. This he, is a seventh round. Yeah, pick but his name is Jack Adams. That's been. In he's college. got an award named after. Yeah, him. that's got. He's been in college like five years. <laughs> like, you just can't give that goal up. In my, you know, I just don't. I would rather see my goalie make a save there. When, when he's in tight and when you're as big as Portillo is in tight. That's fair. I will give you the size part, yeah. Um, so it's 3-2, to two and it feels like, well, we've all seen this movie before. I, I do want to say one thing about the the, power, uh, the penalty kill. I, I thought that was one of the worst penalty kills they've had all season. And That particular yeah, one? And then that goal, they had a shot to stop it. They were dead in the water on that one that hit the post. And, yeah. and they were getting passed through yeah. like nobody's, you know. And that's kind of the thing with their penalty kill is, to me, if you're going to not put a ton of on-puck pressure the way Ohio State does on the perimeter and you're going to more sit back in and protect, uh, you know, the slot and the home plate area, what you cannot then do is be passed through like that and, and have 
change of sides passes going right through your guys and and leaving your goalie exposed. Well, yes. Because it, it felt like they score, uh, I have it pulled up right now, they score with 16 or 18 seconds yeah. left in that uh, penalty. I thought there were three, t- that was the third or fourth A-plus chance that Notre Dame. The Adams one? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, the, it felt like a ticking time the, bomb. Like, the, they're going to score. Like, they hit the post, but if we give them another minute, and they've got another minute on the clock, they're going to score. Yeah. we got no answers right now. We're chasing. We're not stopping any passes. It, it, it's a problem. The primo chance was should have been the goal. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. if that goes in, no one's – I mean, you're upset. Um, you're upset because you let a pass go right through you. Well, and that's happened a number of times this year too. And that's kind of the thing, and I guess we can talk about this for a second now, is that, you know, we I I mentioned uh, in the preview that you Michigan would probably want, unlike Ohio State, Michigan would probably want this to be a special teams battle because their penalty kill and power play, both over the season, has been better than Notre Dame's. And, you know, the truth is, is they were pretty much equal on Friday, where Notre Dame goes two for three, which is, in, you know, it's just unacceptable for Michigan. Like, that's just... Yeah. That can't happen. And then Michigan goes two for four, as we'll talk about the Fantilli goal in a minute here. Um, And the problem for Michigan is they just didn't do enough five on five. They did get a goal. They got him in transition. But they couldn't get the puck in the zone, and they couldn't create chances and beat Bischel the way that they have against other teams. And that's, you know, ultimately what ended up costing him. So going into the – so it's three to two, um, and now Michigan is in a position where they're not trying to – protect the game they have to go get it and um you know Rutger gets a decent shot from the slot but it goes wide uh they give up a two-on-one that Portillo bails him out makes a save um and then Boltman hits the post I mean there were a couple of times for you know Notre Dame had chances to put this away and couldn't do it um the uh the Boltman one is a humorous one because on the Notre Dame uh hockey Twitter feed, they shared the clip, and they said, so close, he hit the crossbar, and the video clearly shows him hitting the post. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that's why you, if you just use iron, like, then yeah. you're okay, right? Like, because it <laughs> yeah. can be everything, but when you covered. get specific, yeah. you know, you have a chance to be wrong in that sense. Um, Fantilli had a really good chance uh, right next to the net, but I thought Janicki played really good defense tying up a stick, and... Fantilli just couldn't find the puck to, to put it in before you get the interference call on Notre Dame with, I uh, was like five minutes left, six minutes left, somewhere in that range. And now they have a chance um, and you get, uh, so this is where it gets a bit controversial and you had a bit, little better take on this because you had benefit of some replays and, and people talking about it. But I thought McGrady took an ill-advised shot from, I think it was above the house and there were two guys there. Did they pull the goalie? Was this a six on five? I can't remember if this was or not. I th- they did score with the... Thought it was? The the penalty uh, that you're referencing on Lieberman, that happened with uh, 2.29 to go. It wasn't five or six minutes. It was very late in the game. Okay. I remember texting you saying that I was not going to pull my goalie because I'm kind of of the belief that five on four is better than six on four. For the same reason, I've always said that just too four many on people three on is, is better than five on yeah. three, just because you get that like one extra guy, and you can fall victim to like passing too much and feeling like you have to use the extra guy. Yeah. And I think it's a little more deliberate when you have five. But also, as we always say, when you pull the the goalie while you're in a power play, now they can shoot for the empty net f- and end the game and end the game with no threat of icing. Um, so I said, 
personally, I was like, yeah, don't pull a goalie. Let's just milk this two minutes and then pull him in the final 30 seconds. But they did have him gone when they when they scored the tying. So the Lieberman penalty was legit or no? I don't remember this one off the okay. top of my head. It seemed like uh, matching to the the Ciccolini one to giving to giving Michigan a chance, and it was something that maybe gets called. So then then the interesting part is that Rutger I thought took a poor shot um, because there's two guys in front of him and he t- kind of takes a one timer and on six on four like when you have your goalie pulled you can't just be shooting willy nilly because if you turn it over you could lose the game. You want to get at least a good look or if you have that many guys on the ice you want to run something because there's a reason that you have those people out there he ends up hitting one of the notre dame sticks and then it looks like there's a slash that's called but they take it away because the shot breaks the stick the shot (coughs) this was a complicated one yeah uh the way it looked on the tv was that the shot hit the stick and the shot hit the stick to the point at which it was going to be broken at next sort of impact. Like, so it was splintered, not broken. You know, broken. like a loose tooth? Yeah. It's like right <laughs> it's on like the hanging. Egg. It's hanging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like it's, it, it, the, the shot was like the stick was broken, but it did not cut in half until contact was made in a, in a slashing form with the stick. However, the slash hits like the end of the stick and that's where it then then breaks. It didn't hit the hand. It didn't hit the body. Mm. It didn't hit anything. It, it was like not very different than a stick lift, basically. And so they wave off. So the they slash wave it off. Them. And I was like, yeah, that's probably the right decision. It, it, I don't think there was enough there. You know, it wasn't the force of the stick that broke it. It was just the final straw that that broke the camel's back, so to speak, on, on splintering that stick. And then, so on the ensuing face-off, they get the puck to Fantilli. He gets below the dot and takes a shot from. Not a super sharp angle, but not a great angle either. And this one just goes through Bischel. I believe that was five hole. It was. And, and so he's skating in there, and we were watching the game, and I was saying, because he had Rucker coming from up high mm-hmm. at a more direct angle, and, and it looked like there was a lane to shoot between the Notre Dame defensemen. And he's coming downhill, and so I'm saying if, if Fantilli passes up and he gets his momentum into it and yeah. just blasts it. Plus you're changing the angle on right, Bischel. Right. So I was saying, pass it, pass it, pass it, pass it. <laughs> Rucker's there. And then he shoots anyway. And then it goes in, and, <laughs> and we watch it on replay, and it's just like, yeah, that's you don't. I mean, Bischel was fabulous on Saturday. I we'll talk about him more. I think he is the best goalie in the conference this year, and maybe the best in the country after watching this weekend. Wow. Um, but that one was that was tough. Is that a howler? Yeah, it, it wasn't a center ice goal, but it was definitely one you don't want to see go in. Yeah. So it's three three. Michigan gets their second power play goal, um, and this is part of the power play that you know they went two for four. And you're looking at that's great power play. But I wrote about it on the breakdown that night, saying I didn't really think their power play was that good. They had two really nice play, three really nice plays. They had the Hughes end to end play that people did, neglected to pick him up. Then Samuskevich, I think, in the middle of the second period, in one of their their second or their third power play, um, that they didn't do anything. But Samo kind of drives from the wall through and gets to the net, doesn't really get a shot, but at least creates something semi-dangerous. And then you had this shot from Fantilli that goes in. And so is that really good power play? Um, the results are good. Is that what I'm looking for for a power play that is going to need to score probably in a, one of these next couple tournaments to win some games? No, I think it needs to be better. And now Luke Hughes is out. So, you know, well, he's back now, but... In this game, he was out. So that does factor in. But, 
you know, they do have other good players. Yeah, I do agree with you on that. I'm, I've always been a process over results type of person in general, and I thought the process was not great, but the results were there. So in a in an evening, you're like, fine. But as a coach, you right. you you know have things to work on. Yeah. And so Michigan has a few chances to win. Fantilli had a chance to win it at the end of regulation. Um, doesn't go in. You you know, whatever, I guess. And then <laughs> there's, a, there's a sort of a turnover, and Notre Dame gets a three-on-two with under 10 seconds, under five seconds. They enter the zone, and Portillo makes a face save on a shot that it looks like it's on frame with time on the clock that... I mean, if that goes in, like, oh, you know, I don't know what happens in the building. Not good things. Um, but makes a, a crazy save, a real, a nice play. And uh, that was, uh, a, after having a period and a half, really, of not a lot going on, it got pretty hype there at the end of regulation. And, and overtime uh, really doubles down on that, too. Yeah, I was saying after they tied it, just get to overtime, get to overtime, get to overtime, yeah. get to overtime. Well, you need to get a point. Yep. Because of the position and in the they, standings. They got a little exposed there at the end, but they got away with it. Holy cow, overtime was nuts. Uh, Fantilli hits the iron. Uh, Rutger and Brindley each have a grade A chance to win, and, and they can't. Um, I, Fantilli and Samuskevich are in front almost on a 2-on-0 or 2-on-1. 2-on-0. And they cannot get the puck in the net. No, that I, was an unbelievable defensive play, I think, from Nick Lieberman. Okay. They, were, they were all alone, 2-on-0 coming in. They do they play it the way you should on a 2-on-0. Pass it back and forth until you literally have an empty net. And then uh, the defensive player just comes in from behind, diving on his stomach like Superman, and, and flings the stick out and, and knocks it just you know, ever so slightly that they can't get the perfect shot away. I and mean, I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, I thought the game was over. Well, Lieberman's a good player. Yep. Maybe not next level, but in college, he's been really good every time Michigan's faced him. So then, right before, just like at the end of regulation, Notre Dame has their one shot to win the game. They almost have a shot to win in overtime here, where a guy goes airborne, I think, over one of the Michigan defensemen. The puck squeaks through Portillo a little bit and just trickles, like, inches wide at the other end. After Michigan has, I don't know, a billion chances to win. I mean, the the sheer volume. Their their xG in overtime could have easily rivaled their xG throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, three on three is wild, and this was an even more wild one. So it was a lot of fun. It was a bummer that we had to go to a shootout. Which is your favorite? Uh, I believe Brian left Yost before the shootout. Well, I stopped watching the shootout because, because CW50 so, crashed. So. Involuntarily, <laughs> we, we saw the the Notre Dame goal to start the shootout, which I believe was the only goal in the Nick shootout. Lieberman and, of all people. And then uh, Channel Fifty was like, "We're done, <laughs> we're out." And no I, way, Michigan and scored. It takes a, enough time to get BTM Plus going that it would miss the whole shootout. Yeah. Plus, I don't care. You didn't care about have, the, the second point. I have no. In, well, I do, but I have no insight onto shootout. No, but I you, would like to see. You can tell me what happens after the shootout, and I will have no insight as opposed to watching the shootout. The point is consequential, but I do not need to see the shootout to pr- contribute anything to the podcast because there's nothing to contribute about a shootout. So the only it's a shootout. The only thing that I would say that um, is podcast-worthy of this is that Notre Dame scores on their first one. That's the only one they get. Michigan goes 0 for 3, and going back to the previous game, Michigan's 0 for 6 in their last shootout attempts. And it's a small sample size. Yeah, I get that. I'd like to see 
them score one. <laughs> Would you not? I mean, at some point, you, you should make one of these. Yeah, but shootouts are crazy. I remember that year, like maybe 14-15 or 15-16, where the Red Wings started the year like 0-8 in the shootout. I mean, like... Okay, but did but it's not because they went like 0 for 24 No, it was like Peter Mrazek, like... Or no, it was like Jimmy Howard couldn't save any shootout shots, sure. was my memory. It, it was... I think that I have nothing to say about this. It's not the biggest deal, but I would like to see a first-round draft pick finish a shootout shot. That would be that would be nice. So Michigan gets one point, um, and it was frustrating, I guess. But such is Notre Dame at Yost. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. So the biggest news heading into segment two, game two of last weekend's series was that Luke Hughes was on the line chart. He had missed the previous two, eh, two and a half games-ish. Well, the biggest news. The biggest news. There's bigger news? Saturday's oh, yeah. game was that it didn't mean anything. The Well, yeah. It was the 8 o'clock game at 5.30. The Gophers and Buckeyes, which we'll talk about later, did battle. And the Gophers did our homework for us. They they took care of Ohio State. On Friday and, and Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. So we were going into Saturday night feeling very stress-free. That's true. And then even fewer stress-free with Luke Hughes yep. coming back. Um, and by the end of the game, it sure had made a difference. So he had just the first note I have is that he had an open rush and a shot down the wing on the first shift. And you're just like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> like, it took Michigan a little while to kind of get going on... Well, I guess it didn't. It took penalties. Um, but at five on five on uh, on Friday and on Saturday, he just kind of walks down the wing as a guy kind of near him, but he gets a shot off. And you're like, okay, now I'm feeling pretty good. Um, unfortunately, that was the only shot of the game for the first five minutes. <laughs> I looked up and it was like under the 15 minute mark. And it was, shots were 1-0 for Michigan. Um, and I had a bit of a yawn. Yeah, this was much more of a Notre Dame game. Uh yeah, and especially the first period, yeah. where not a whole lot happens. Um, Notre Dame gets called for tripping, and Michigan has a power play. Not a whole lot happens. It, there's a four-on-four, four and uh, Mackey does hit the bottom of the bar, 
and so that was a decent chance. Um, and then, you know, Michigan Notre Dame alternate power plays, and uh, not a whole lot happens. I, Michigan actually gives the puck away, and Portillo actually has to make a nice glove save and then another save. Um, but neither team doing a whole lot on the power play there. And um, then near the end of the first period is where we get our first sort of controversial thing where Adam Fantilli gets five in a game for reverse checking a guy in the head with his arm. Uh, it was... It was hand? It kind of looked like elbow, but... Elbow? Yeah. But did they say elbow, or just was it just... Uh, no, they didn't... Uh, they didn't specify? They just said head contact. Head let me, contact. Let me look at what the... So, in the NHL, is this a major? No. Is it close. a penalty? Probably not. You don't even think this is a penalty. Okay. Contact to the head. But in the Big Ten, this is what we've seen called as majors. Oh, yeah. This this is one. And because every time this happens, Michigan Hockey Twitter does the same thing where all the the wolves come out and there's nonstop howling for like 10 minutes. Just like. That sounds more like a chihuahua. (laughs) I think the chihuahuas come out. And we have to do this whole get on the merry-go-round and spin around and talk about how there was a hit on Frank Nazer that wasn't called, all this yeah. stuff. I get, okay, I get that. Yeah. You don't <laughs> – I saw people talking about like, oh, this just proves it's, it's you know, safety theater. I'm like, we figured that out last year. We don't need to go over this. The moment they didn't call that, that one on Garrett Van Wy. Remember when he got – Oh, yeah, when he got cross-checked the, the back of the head yeah, on yeah, the ice. Yeah. The moment that happened, we established – I mean, that was, was a borderline execution. Yeah, the, the moment that happened, we established that this was the security theater. Like, we don't need to go down that path again. We yeah. get it. We also get that it's totally, um, you know, that they that uh, arbitrary in terms of which ones they missed and which ones they caught. We, we get that. We know that. There's no reason to talk about that again. What we do know is that this sort of hit from Fantilli is obviously a major. Yeah, under the rules that's been established. Like yes. you see it happen, and it's like, yep. And I would like to see Michigan not do that. Yes, <laughs> that's one of the two points. Is that it? These are hits that, while Fantilli is very physical and aggressive, and sticks up for his teammates, and isn't taking crap from opponents and all that stuff. He needs to be on the ice. Yeah, and I and I tweeted that, and I had someone come in and say, "Look, we know that, but he's you know he's getting hooked, and he's getting." You know, interfered yeah. with all this stuff. He's frustrated. Like, I, I know that. But, like, I mean, you know, honestly, if I was advising Fantilli and go, knowing what I know now, if you, you know, wound the clock back three years, I'd have told him go to the OHL. Well, that's what I was going to yeah. say is <laughs> don't come to Michigan because yeah. they're not – no yeah. one's going to protect you. His, You're his playing get... style is much more Canadian, and I think yeah. he would have been better served in the OHL than, yeah. than NCAA. But whatever. He made this choice, and, the he, other... and he's got to figure out how to play under the rules. The other thing, and, and we'll – well, we can even talk about it now, but the other part of it that I don't get that I that is still frustrating is, you know, in the Minnesota Ohio State game, the one that happened right before this Michigan Notre Dame game that we were watching, Minnesota gets two five on or two five minute majors at the same time, which they I don't want to see. I wonder if their stat broadcast broke like ours did <laughs> or not. But um, they're so. But neither of those, and it was two big name players too at, at Fantilli's level. Or it was Snuggerud and Nice, I think. And neither of those players gets kicked out. Yeah. They both get five minute majors. Yes. They have to serve. Yeah, I, and then I they think that out. was, yeah, I, there's, a re, there's a reasonable argument there about that. And then Fantilli in this one, 
did. Yep. Gets a gay misconduct. And I, I just. Well, it was Snuggerud and Nice, right? Yeah. Have they had any majors this year? We know Cooley has, but. Snuggerud's the guy that injured Truscott. In the second Minnesota game, oh, he yeah, hit Truscott. He, yeah, he might have been. And that was the last time Truscott played. Yeah, he might have been. Yeah. Because I was thinking Fantilli at this point has a bit of a reputation. Sure. Um, yeah, you definitely have a case there. I mean, th- those Minnesota ones, we'll get to them later, but those were definitely, those were like clear majors. So I guess my point is that we probably should just, you need to have a clearer definition of, you. if you're going to call majors, I guess you're going to call majors. I think there are too many of them. I think it kind of ruins hockey in, in a sense. And now they're not majors anymore. They're kind of like, you know, exaggerated minors. Or, you know, it's not, because it's not a big deal anymore. And, but... Whatever. If that's the way it is, it's the way it is. You know what you're getting walking into it. The part that I don't understand and will never understand is what is the threshold for a guy getting kicked out of the of the game yeah, or not. Yeah, that, that's totally... And that's the part where, you know, I'm not saying there's match fixing because I don't think anyone's betting on this stuff except maybe Ryan Zook, but I, it, it just changes the, the complexion of the game so much. Yep. And it needs to be clearer defined rather than some, you know, blonde man with long hair who just gets to be like i'm gonna stay on the on the ice and you have to leave side note did you see who was in the penalty box on saturday night did i see who was in the penalty box on saturday night uh are we talking i assume you don't mean a player no you mean like an official uh, it was a person that we know it was a person that we know was in the penalty box yeah uh, i did not trench coat guy <laughs> There's a guy for listeners who don't know that wears a trench coat and a fedora. He does. Michigan hockey game. He's he a nice a, guy. He has a ponytail. He he came upstairs before the game, and like I am always frustrated by this because for whatever reason, in the Yost press box, you cannot get BTN Plus on HD. You only have to have it on standard definition. He was like banging around, being like. Where's the high-definition version of this? And I was like, yes, yes, one for the good side. <laughs> yeah, he's normally in the press box, but yeah. he, was, he was in the penalty box. Was he doing anything? I think he was, he was you know, in the, in was the middle f- part of the penalty box. Was he the, the official? I don't – I think there was a, an official score in there, but and he was standing next to He him. was the babysitter. But I was notified by someone in attendance that he was in the box. And then at one glimpse during the game, they – You saw him? We saw him. I Did saw you wave? I saw him on the TV, and I was like, oh, there he is. Did you wave at him? <laughs> you should have. <laughs> So Fantilli out of the game for the last two periods in a game that Michigan doesn't need him to play, but it they need to win a hockey game again. Would enjoy if he played. Yeah, it's it, yeah. Um, so Notre Dame gets their major penalty to start the second period, and um, they don't really do much. <laughs> they try to enter the zone, and Michigan clears. They try to enter the zone, Michigan clears, and over and over again. Happened probably three or four times. And then Nazar had a bit of a rush, got behind the Notre Dame net, and I thought had a really sweet pass out in front. I can't remember if it was to Brindley, who was with him. Uh, maybe it was McGrady, but he had a very, very nice pass that ended up drawing a penalty because the Notre Dame guy did not think that that pass was going to get over, and so he had to... Uh, take a penalty on the second player in and around the net, which effectively killed the rest of the major because it made it four on four. And that's a really good kill for Michigan, who struggled a lot the night before. Uh, and four on four, um, it, this is where it kind of starts to swing in Michigan's favor. Uh, you have a, a nice play from Casey to Mackey to TJ Hughes, but he hits the side netting. Um, and then Luke Hughes gets his one bad defensive zone turnover where he 
basically gives the puck away and uh, tries to rescue it, can't, and Portillo makes a really big save, keeping Michigan in the game. Yeah, I mean, this was... The second period was definitely when it started to shift towards Michigan, and then they got the boost there at the end of the period uh, with the the other five minute penalty. Yeah, um, the the only thing. So I it, it, at halftime of the this, of the game and the second period, uh, shots were fifteen to eleven. Michigan, they're starting to build up because I believe shots at the end of the first period were about 9 to 8, 9 to 9, 10 to 9, somewhere in that range. We're very, very close. And then Michigan starts to build their lead as they get their shots up to, I believe it was 22 13 after, after the second period. Um, the problem that they did have, they, had, they did have good s- stretches of zone time and chances um, and multiple chances on the same shifts. The problem was is that they started to give things away. And so Notre Dame wasn't getting really good offensive time, but they were getting good looks in transition as Michigan sort of making mistakes. In fact, their first three odd man rushes are all breakaways. And Portillo makes a, a poke check save and then two other saves that, you know, kind of keeps the game even because Michigan isn't able to score at this point. And Portillo, I think, kind of, while he's not playing Bischel to the same level because Bischel by the end makes an inordinate number of massive saves, he's making really big, hard saves because they're really good chances. Yeah, this uh, this was a good showing from from uh, Portillo. Um, and then we get to, the, to pretty much getting close to the end of the second period, we get to the second major. So Lansdell is called for a cross check. He goes over to the box. Narado looks at the review or gets a buzz down from above and kind of starts going crazy, gets the ref's attention. They challenge. Yo starts going nuts and it is on review. Did you see this? I I still didn't see it. I was watching the replay and I couldn't find it. Um, But you couldn't find this call. I couldn't see the spot what they were looking at. I oh, guess no, I was just looking at the cross check to the head. It was a cross check to was, the head, right? It was as obvious as it gets. Yeah. Because everybody went really got very loud. And so it was pretty, yeah. Yeah, we At were... that point, did you think they were actually going to call it a major? Yeah. <laughs> More faith than I do. So Michigan then gets their power play. They get their five-minute major. You think, this is the time. It has to be here. Um, they get sort of a, a good minute in the zone. They get a bunch of good looks. Bischel's making saves. Um, and then they get called for the Ciccolini interference, which is sort of the new thing in the NHL where you kind of run a semi-pick at the blue line, allowing the entrance of for one of the slingshot guys to come in. I mean, it looked like he was moving and hit him, and the, the puck's going right by. I thought, okay, well, this is even in the NHL. This is kind of a thing now. I would like this to be legal, but it isn't. So Because it benefits the offense? Yep. All right. But that comes basically right around the two-minute yeah, to that, go, it, was Mark. Fr- it was frustrating. It just but. ends basically the major. Yep. They get their first three minutes, don't score, then you get the four on four and, again. And Mitchell made some big time saves on the major uh, before. Yeah, it went to four on it, four. It starts. That's where it really starts to pick up in the Michigan shot department, and then also in the Ryan Bischel is, as you said earlier, the best goalie in the conference and maybe in the country, from what you've seen. Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at the national save percentage numbers. I just had this pulled up. He is number two, I believe. Uh, yeah, Devon Levi, nine thirty-four. Ryan Bischel, nine thirty-two. They 
uh, tip of the scale for me is that Bischel faces a very high workload. I mean, yeah. we talked about this. Like, Notre Dame in the past would have goalie save percentages kind of inflated by the way they play, but, like, this game on Saturday was really a, a better encapsulation of kind of games they played this year. Like, this dude just gets shelled and faces <laughs> shot after shot after shot that are actually, like, really quality chances. Yeah. And so he's he's made 1,095 saves this season, 94 more than any other player in college hockey, That's... and over a th- 100 clear of Levi. So he's... He's just faced a ton. And then you go down the list and you look at, you know, number four and number five are, are close and Yenev Parrots from QPAC. I mean, those guys are saving under 800. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like 300 fewer because they're <laughs> on real teams with real defenses. Uh, I mean, Bischel's faced immense workload and is still right there at the top. So for me, he's as... He's as good as it is as it's gotten this year. So, do you think a lot of this was Hughes playing to just sort of free things up for Michigan's offense to create, or do you think that they made some adjustments to attack Notre Dame's defense? I think it's probably a combination. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the latter as well. Um, Edwards, as we start the third period, um, this is going to be a good period for Michigan, but not right away. Um, as Edwards gets called for a high stick, Notre Dame gets their fourth power play, and Adams has a decent chance in front. Um, and the pass kind of gets over to the side. It's reversed, and then Bravaro skates backwards into the middle of sort of the straightaway area and hits a one-timer that beats Portillo. It looked like there was definitely a guy in front. He was screened. It's just kind of an old-school power play goal. A shot from distance that in front of that beats a screener and a goalie and yeah Michigan chose in this situation not to do anything about the guy in front of the net I mean they they have their four penalty killers way far away and he's just posting up right in front of Portillo he's got a great screen and uh, when you choose not to try and clear him out that's kind of what what's going to happen and Portillo isn't able to see the shot at all he's he's peeking out to try and find it before the shot comes yeah and he he guesses the wrong Peaks way the wrong side, yeah, yeah, and then it goes in i mean that's just sometimes that's going to happen if you decide not to do anything about uh about the screener so then michigan is sort of up against it they're going to need to make a play um and can they do it to at least get the game to overtime if not you know try to come back and win it uh rutger had a decent chance on the doorstep but couldn't finish it um and Karenin and Hallam both had really good looks that were saved. You know, and the problem, you know, and this is going to happen, I guess, so you can't get too down about it. Um, but, you know, Lieberman gets in on a rush and deked out Portillo but hit the iron. You know, it, it's it was right there for Notre Dame again. Lieberman actually has had, I thought he had a pretty good series, had the, the shootout goal, made a bunch of defensive plays, almost could have put this one away with that one with or with that chance. Um, and then about halfway through, Michigan's finally able to turn the tide, and uh, Seamus Casey makes a really nice play getting down the boards, turning along the goal line, dishing right out in front uh, to Rutger, who just has a slam dunk from in front. I think it, it went through uh, went through Bischel, but you know from that from that range, Michigan finally is able to get one by him to tie the game at one. And it was nice to see Casey get that play because I didn't think he had a great game on Friday and was definitely better on Saturday. Of course, you know, his minutes are going to be slightly different with Luke Hughes in. Yeah, and this was a, a great, great pass. Um, and uh, Rucker parked out front, just 
bangs away, bangs away. Also, pretty poor defensive coverage from from Notre Dame. They go to take away the pass, no one does, and they just leave a guy right in front to to shove it in. So uh, Michigan breaks it down, and they get the tying goal, and and then they you know kept generating chances the rest of the way. Yeah, um, and after the tie game, Michigan. Michigan gave up a couple more odd man rushes, a three on one for Notre Dame that Portillo made two back to back saves to keep it tied. And then they get a two on one that the shot hits the post. So, you know, Portillo's playing really well, has a little bit of luck on his side uh, that you just kind of need when you face Notre Dame. Uh, but Notre Dame ended, I believe, with five or six odd man rushes. Uh, Michigan, I think, had one that they had a. We didn't even talk about this because it happened, I believe earlier in the game they had a, a two on O with uh Nazer and Brinley, I believe, and Nazer gets all the way in, it was on a penalty kill, and passes it back behind Brindley. So it goes all the way to the boards and at some point you're just like, you know, you're five feet away, shoot the puck. But that was the only odd man rush that Michigan had gotten that game. Whereas Notre Dame was able to get out in transition after not really being able to very much on Friday. Yeah, I, it was. There were chances at uh, at both ends uh, it, over the course of this game, and both goalies rose to the occasion. It it was almost like Michigan had tons of chances, some good ones for sure, but just tons of chances. And Notre Dame had a few, but they were really good chances. That's often how it tends to go. Yeah. So down the stretch, then you know Michigan's going for the win. They're really really close. A stop had a backhand lift shot that just went high. I thought he had. Bishel beaten, but he couldn't keep it underneath the bar. And then Moyle had a really good look down the slight that hit the bottom of Bischel's glove. That would have been a storyline for the fifth-year senior captain to get a game winner against Notre Dame. That wasn't to be. Um, and then right at the end of the game, Notre Dame gets a shot through Portillo that goes off the post. Going back the other way, Michigan has a two-on-one with TJ Hughes and Mackey. Samuskevich. Samuskevich fires a shot. It hits off of Bischel's pad, and Hughes has the rebound and has an open net and just misses wide, and you're just like, uh, the puck just will not go in. I looked at the even strength Corsi through overtime, too, and it was 91-30 to 30 in favor of Michigan. Like, they did that. Michigan did that to Lindenwood early in the year, yep. a team that hadn't really played. I think they had over 100 chances or something like that, which is a lot. And it's impressive, but it's against a team that, in some senses, you should do that to. 91-30 to 30 against Notre Dame, a team that, if they get results next weekend, is probably in the tournament, is something else. Yeah, but this is who Notre Dame's been. We've been talking about this for a couple weeks. Like, they've been getting caved in like this. Uh, Maybe not like that. <laughs> Has anyone been getting caved in like that? Well, no. I mean, what was that game against Ohio State we were talking about only a few weeks back? I mean, that, oh, that course, he was like a like very 80, similar, some to 40 yeah, or something. Was, I yeah. mean, like, this has actually happened to them. Yeah. But in true Notre Dame fashion in overtime with their first chance, uh, Drew Bavaro gets his second of the game on a rebound goal on a sort of a delayed two-on-one. I don't really count odd man rushes on three-on-three in overtime because the whole thing just feels like an odd man rush and it kind of would inflate the numbers and it's not really what you're going for, but they did get one and, and they score and, and win the game and they get their second point. Um, ironically, it was one point too few for them to get into that third spot because I think if they'd won in overtime based on some of the other results that we'll get to in a minute, they would have finished third, which is 
uh, a far cry from who we thought was going to finish third for basically the last month or two. Well, everyone's close enough that one weekend of results can kind of switch it all around. That's true. And it was just, it like you said, the game didn't matter in the standings. It ended up not even really mattering uh, in pairwise because Michigan didn't drop uh, to fifth, as was projected, because St. Cloud State also lost. But it was, you know, it's senior night. It's Notre Dame at Yoast. Haven't beaten him here in regular in the regular season in a long time. And, you know, you're trying to rebuild some momentum after getting one point last week. I guess you got two points this week, getting both to overtime. But, um, you know, at some point you're going to have to win hockey games again. Yeah. I I don't know. Notre, <clears throat> Notre Dame at Yoast has become just... Something else. <laughs> Don't really know what else to say. So we'll get into some of Michigan's old friends, teams that they'd played. So Lindenwood plays USNTDP for two games on the weekend. Uh, neither go well. Uh, twelve to four. Wow, twelve to four on Friday, and then six to one on Saturday. Uh, that would be an aggregate of eighteen to five. Bad. <laughs> But not completely unexpected. Um, yeah. Well, we kind of hoped the Lions would win a few more games. Hasn't completely come around, but... Uh, well, they finished the season with uh, a trip to Alaska. So they're playing this weekend against the Nanooks. We will be cheering for the Nanooks. But after that, they play Anchorage. So those are those are two games they can win. So are they just going to stay there for like... I'd assume so. I mean, that's kind of cool, right? Hey, you guys want to go to Alaska for 10 days? Would you do that? Sure. <laughs> sure. Alex and I are going to Alaska next <laughs> year. Uh, BU plays Vermont and wins 5-3 to three in a pretty close game until the third when BU gets a couple goals. and Well, they get a goal and I think an empty netter and they win. And then they win 3-0 over Vermont uh, the next night. Vermont's not great. B, those are games that BU needed to win. That might be an understatement. Vermont's very bad. Um, but yes, they... So are they the cantamounts then? Yeah, basically. The cantaloupes? <laughs> they, uh, Vermont this season is 9-18-5 overall. Uh, that's that's not good. They're right at the bottom of para, uh, para... Well, they're they're boosted up a little bit because they play in a decent conference. Yeah. But they, they would be right. They're 51st. That's still pretty That's bad. That's about as bad as you can get without being like an independent. That's, or, I think, or where in the ECAC. Michigan was about there in the 16-17 year, the last red year. Like, that was the year when, yeah, it had all pretty much fell yeah. apart at that point. Lake State. Lake State, a sweep. They beat Ferris in overtime, and then they win again 4-2. to two. What's going on? Are the Lakers back, Alex? <laughs> hey, you got to have some reasons for optimism in a bleak season. Um, they're up to six and sixteen in uh, in the CCHA. Do you think Matt D watches these Lakers too, <laughs> or just the LA Lakers? I will say uh, my cousin uh, and her children were at one of the two games. And oh, in, in Ferris? It yeah. was in Ferris. Yeah, they live out by Grand Rapids. They drove up to Big Rapids to okay. see these games. One of the games. I don't remember which one, but did they have a good time? I think so. Unless they're rooting for Ferris, because <laughs> losing to Lake State is yeah, it's not, it's probably not a good time. They got a picture in front of the Chris Kunitz banner. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> Western Michigan 
uh, gets beaten down by Denver 5-2. to two. And that was significant because Denver has now jumped into the three-hole yes. in, in uh, pairwise, and they have a, a bit of a stranglehold on it right now. Yeah, and then they lost, and then Denver beat Western again on Saturday, three to one. So um, not super tight games. Denver looks like they are looking to be probably a one seed. Uh, Western, uh, what they're in like the two three range still in that cluster. Yeah, Den- Denver's really heating up. They've won uh, seven of eight. That's dating good. back to the end of uh, the end of January, and that includes wins over Nodak and a sweep of western so they're they're really kicking it into gear and western now is tumbling more into that range in sort of the the two three range uh it doesn't look like they have a chance at getting a one seed anymore yeah they have a 2.1 percent chance of getting a one seed not very high yeah and then harvard our our last non-conference friend beat st lawrence six to two and then they beat clarkson three to two this is not the clarkson of old that used to be really good so both games were Sort of must wins for Harvard, um, but they've fallen a little bit off as they're pro- currently projected as a four seed, I believe. Uh, or th- no, end of the three. No, they're as we talk right now, they're seventh in pairwise. Oh, they've jumped up. Yeah. Oh, this was the last week. Okay, there you go. Yeah. I I clicked on an article and I was looking through it today, and it was now I'm remembering that it was it was a dated one. I the remember probability matrix has their most likely spots being either seventh or eighth. Seventh or eighth, okay. So, and they're next to being ninth and sixth. So they look very likely so to be in that little two probably seed a two, yeah. maybe a three. Yep. Um, so now we can get to the Big Ten. Uh, first, we'll talk about an interesting series in Hockey Valley between Wisconsin and Penn State, where Wisconsin they did it has finally won a Big Ten road game. They did it at long last, uh, and. They did not do it on Friday, as it was 6-1 to one and not very close. And the funny part about that is that you would think that, especially after winning that game, and then looking around, Penn State would realize that if they would have won, they were basically playing for the three seed. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean that was within their grasp. Had If, if Minnesota was going to beat Ohio State again, had they won, it was in their control against the worst team in the conference on senior night. And they scored a whole goal. Well, have you looked at the underlying numbers for this game? I looked at some of them. Total Corsi, 92 to 41. So basically what we saw against Even Notre Dame. Even strength Corsi, 77 to 34. Kyle McClellan in that for Wisconsin, 47 of 48. Oh my goodness. That is a Ryan Bischel performance if I've ever seen one. And but just with all the like the stakes on the table. No, it was the red carpet was rolled out. And Penn State slipped and fell right on their face. On a banana peel? And the paparazzi got him face <laughs> down on the carpet. So the thing about it was, like, I think I was rooting for Penn State yeah, to win we wanted that, that, yeah. Because I would like Penn State to be the three. Yep. But Too bad. alas, they are now the six because they lost, and Notre Dame won, and it, the Big Ten just kind of went all sorts of directions. They don't have the breaker with... Uh... With anyone, really. Yeah, with MSU. Yeah. Um, and then in the other series, we kind of hinted at this. Uh, Ohio State-Minnesota played a mostly even game on Friday, and then Miss- Minnesota scored, what, four goals in six minutes to take a tight game and turn it into a laugher by the time I got back from Yost on Friday night. Well, they got... That was a, a very strange refereed game because 
in the first two periods, minor penalties were seven to one Ohio State. Oh, so Ohio State had seven penalties. Correct. Jeez. All minor penalties. Okay. And Minnesota had one. And Steve Rollick was just going crazy on the bench. He was screaming. and I figured he'd like it because they kill all the penalties and they score shorthanded goals. Well, they took two right in a row in the second period, 19 seconds apart from each other. And then they gave up two five-on-three goals. Yeah. You don't see that a ton. Well, because – so what happened was they took the two. They gave up a five-on-three goal. Now it's five-on-four. Then they took a bench penalty abusive officials went back <laughs> to five-on-three. So was that on Rollick? It, it was just spiraling out of control. They had totally lost their head in that in that second period. Was the moment just a little too big for them? Yeah. In Minnesota, they just lit them up like a Christmas tree. I mean, that was, that was rough in that second period. So 4-0, the game was over at that point, and Michigan got one of the helps that they would need. Um, and then on Saturday, we watched this game. We referenced different parts of it, but two simultaneous majors for Minnesota on two of their best players, both on the top line. I don't think I've ever seen that because <laughs> BU's two five minutes were like 15 seconds apart. Right. And you were sitting there kind of thinking, I mean, you're watching the replay, right? Yeah. And you're seeing, okay, boom, one major, then boom, another major. And then you're sitting there and you're only thinking, do they have the guts to, to do this? Because these are both obviously majors in Saint in Minneapolis. Yeah, but like, are they actually going to call it? And then they do. I mean, why? well, they also tacked on a two minute to low ride. Well, yeah. <laughs> one was a uh, hit from behind in the numbers, face first into the boards. The other one was a clear elbow to the head on like a totally unnecessary hit. So those guys both gone, and now all of a sudden it's it's uh, going to be an extended penalty kill uh for so it was four on three because of the low ride penalty for two and, minutes and ohio state did not score in that window once it went back to three minutes of five on three is when they poured in two goals yeah one right at the end of a period it had one pretty early into the next period as yeah. there was carryover yeah it was like seven seconds so at that point it's two nothing and they got dobish and net and they're feeling pretty good and then all of a sudden the tie just started turning they well, gave up the tying goals 13 seconds apart yeah the first and second Yep, the first one, they, they give up the goal, and then they, they get in an entry right off the face-off of the second one, and Snuggerud takes a shot that, that Dobish kicks out, and it's just right there, right to Nyes, boom, puts it in 2-2. And Ohio State didn't even know what hit him. At that point, I was like, this game's over. Minnesota's going to walk yep. away with this. And then it took them a little bit to score that goal, but Nyes had a between-the-legs pass in front of the net to Cooley, who who tapped it in. I mean, just beautiful stuff. Yeah. And... Uh, and then they kind of had it in cruise control. Yeah, it was 3-2 when I got to Yost, and then they ended up with, I think they got another goal, and then an empty Brodzinski, netter. Brodzinski, I think, scored on a breakaway, and then they had the empty netter to put it away. So Michigan gets the help they need to secure the two seed, which transitions us next to looking at this weekend's games. Um, we'll go over Michigan's game real quick here because there's not as much to say. We've seen this team a few times, but the reason that Alex and I have both been adamant about finishing second is yes, it does suck to have to play this weekend and not win the conference like Michigan has yet to do since the big 10 has started. But if you get the two seed, you are guaranteed to host at least the first round. And then the second round, if you win, plus you draw the worst team. And in this situation, there is a definitive worst team in the big 10. It is the Wisconsin Badgers who we saw a month ago that Michigan for the most part just took to pieces. I would expect not, 
much to be a whole lot different. Um, Wisconsin's 13-21-0. They're 6-18 in the Big Ten. They finally got a road win last weekend. They're 33rd in pairwise, which is um, not like they're in the Big ECAC Ten. bad. They're in the Big Ten. But you this can't, is you bad. You can't be below that. Like. Yeah, this is this is bad for a Big Ten team. 31st in Corsi, eh. 21% of the power play, eh. Pa- penalty kill, 79 not really remarkable. They still have their 10 drafted skaters somehow. Um, Kuhlman's, and then they have, is the first round pick, and then they have, uh, who's the guy that's going to be a first round pick Charlie, next year? Charlie Strammel. Strammel. The one thing that I found interesting is that Chaz Lucius is the only skater scoring at greater than 0.75 points per that's, game. That's Cruz Lucius. Cruz Lucius. Oh, oh yeah. Chaz was with Minnesota. Was with he's Minnesota. with the Manitoba Moose. Right. Um, but they only have one, and he's barely at that threshold. Let me put this plainly. Okay. If you lose two out of three at home to Wisconsin, you have to fold the program. So that's it for Michigan hockey. Yep. We're we're out of jobs. You cannot we lose. We have to go to unemployment. You cannot lose two out of three to Wisconsin at home. That's just the end of it. Like, so, you might lose one, but you cannot lose two yeah. out of three. Yeah, I don't I – don't really disagree with that. The The interesting thing for me is, you know, we've been talking about Jared Moe all year, who's had – not a bad year, but it was Kyle McClellan that had that almost 50 save performance against Penn State. Are they going with him? And would you be shocked to see him in the net on Friday night? If you're a coach, you got to ride the hot hand. That's I my mean, take. It's not like, I mean, Mo is actually, he's actually been okay. He has four shutouts. Wow. Four they shutouts. haven't had a bad goaltending. They just can't score. I mean, that's been. Their- well, goaltending has dropped off a bit. I mean, Mo's. Save percentage is nine oh one. They which don't is, play any defense though. Like, well, I, don't, I don't think the goaltending has been the problem. They're bad defensively and they can't score at five on five. Yeah, those are both not good things. So, I mean, <laughs> Michigan should win. I think in a sweep. I would hope. Hopefully, we don't need to spend Sunday night at Yost, do we? Uh, I don't. Hopefully not. Uh, um, one thing I wanted to get on here quickly about the pairwise situation. Yes, yeah. this is a big weekend in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan is well. Minnesota's number one. Yep. They're seventy-eight percent to have the number one seed. So they're basically Michigan last year. Yep, they're in a good spot. The only team that can catch them is Quinnipiac. Nobody else has a shot at one overall. Michigan is now at four. Their likeliest outcome is to stay there, thirty-six percent. But second likeliest is to drop one slot, twenty-four percent, at being fifth. And so then the, you have smaller probabilities of being third, sixth, or seventh. The only thing about dropping to fifth that would be a big difference there is if. Like you could, they could still go to Allentown as the the two if Penn, Penn State, State jumps above them. But yeah, because they couldn't go if Penn State's the three. So because they would play them. So, so they basically it, have to be the one. So there's a lot of jostling here. You, if Michigan fell to five, St. Cloud jumps to four, then Penn State would have to go with St. Cloud, and Michigan would be the two headed with Denver. In that scenario, right? Woof. If you stay a four, stay at four, then I think you're in Manchester. Maybe. Denver, closer to Allentown, you'd send Michigan to... Denver isn't closer to I mean, It is. It's closer same. than... Man- it, yeah, it's but... an extra hour of flight that you get saved. Yeah, but usually, the, what the, maybe they've changed it, but it used to be that if you get on a plane, you get on a plane. We'll see. I mean, I don't know. I don't... I don't at that point, yeah, it... What really matters then is you'd want to be in Allentown because you'd probably want to fit. You'd get Penn State as your two. I think it's most likely that you're going to have 
Denver, I mean, I guess BU could jump up to six or five, but like right now it looks most likely that it's like some combination of Denver, Michigan, St. Cloud, and Penn State in the three through six slots. And Penn State is definitely going to have to win their series. They would have to win their series. That's the scenario in which if they could drop to seven through nine, and then you may see BU jump up. BU's been slumping recently, so they've fallen down to seventh. But they're a team that could move up. I guess Harvard could if they beat Quinnipiac at some point. There's a few teams. It's that kind of range that that is interesting. Penn State will stay in there. Ohio State's down to 10. Their most likely outcome uh, is 11th with 17%. But so probably a three seed. Right after that is sixth at, or 10th at, at 16%. So there's not a lot of difference. You know um, what would be great? You know what the you know what the Allentown Regional should be? Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. <laughs> How likely is that? Ten octagon. <laughs> um, so those four teams in the Big Ten are all in: Minnesota, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. Uh, the lowest probability there is Ohio State at ninety-nine percent. So they're all in. Then Notre Dame is down at sixteenth. Uh, they have. Oh, did they drop? Or uh, what are they? This is the pairwise probability matrix. I'm okay. looking at. They're 14th yeah. in the active pairwise. The one updated, because there was a game played yesterday. That's jumbled some things. Uh-huh. But in the probability matrix, which was tabulated on uh, Sunday, was 16th at 38%. But it's, it's right there. They need to win their series. Michigan State, a couple slots lower, need to win their series. Yeah, if, if Michigan State doesn't win their series, it's they're done. Yep. So uh, in the conference tournament, you have a, a you know, a battle royale type situation going on here where uh, if, you know, the winner of Michigan uh, Notre Dame stays alive and the loser goes home for both the Big Ten tournament and the NCAAs. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to watch. I, I don't know. That's, I believe, on the Fox Sports app. I was l- trying to FS2. find it. It's on FS2. Is it really? Yeah. It's I'm on not, FS2? I believe so. So Michigan drew BTN+. Plus. Not even an actual television channel, but Notre Dame, Michigan State is on television. What it, what even channel is FS2? It's like 250 here. It'll be on after Property Brothers. <laughs> I don't know. FS2 is it's not, it's not HGTV. <laughs> it's an actual sports it's like channel. like the NHL was on the fishing channel. Uh, like, versus? Well, originally it was outdoor living. Oh, well, and, yeah. yeah. It would be on after like. Mexican soccer or like El, El Salvadorian soccer or something like that is what. And then they'll switch and the biggest culture shock ever going to like uh, poor and then, college and hockey. And then Ohio State, Penn State's the other series. That one doesn't, I mean, it means for seeding who's going to be two. Can Penn State jump up to a one? But it's not that important in the long run it, it's, for, for pairwise. Right. It's relevant for Michigan because we will definitely be rooting for Penn State because then they will get the winner of Michigan State. Notre Dame. I think our optimum outcome is Michigan State and Penn State both winning. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would, I would be fine with. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's what it has to be. You're right because, I mean, if if Notre Dame, yeah, because otherwise we get Notre Dame. There's no way to send Notre Dame to Minnesota or to to Minnesota unless Ohio State wins, and we don't want Ohio State to win. Yep. So, yep, you're right. Uh, so this weekend, I believe seven o'clock, Friday, Saturday, and hopefully not Sunday. BTN Plus. I don't know. I haven't heard yet if the CW will, will pick up those games or not. It would be nice <laughs> if they're working. <laughs> if they're, well, hopefully this won't go to a shootout. 
Well, we know it won't go to well, a so shootout. Well, so it was black for like a minute. Then it just started showing us commercials. <laughs> and then it showed us the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> well, that's something. So, uh, yeah, games this weekend. Um, hopefully they aren't too stressful. This is why Michigan worked hard to get to, into this spot. They get the good draw. And uh, hopefully they can get it done in a couple games. Uh, anything last to add? Want one last plug? WCBN, 7 o'clock. Nope. Listen to Alex Train. listening to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.18 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Come back next week if Michigan beats Wisconsin, and if not, the program will have folded, so no more show.